Well, I'm in the Gospel of Matthew this morning, chapter 2. Someone shared this was what you studied in Sunday school. Matthew chapter 2, we'll look at verses 1 through 12, but my springboard verses are 1 and 2. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Be the scripture today, how the wise men celebrated Christmas. And this message really is for after Christmas, because we'll find the little word after recurs over and over after Christmas. A year and a half after Jesus was born, the wise men, the Magi, arrived. And they celebrated and worshipped Christmas, worshipped Jesus there on that first, uh, the time after Christmas. So look, if you would, in Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi, some say the right word to pronounce that is Magi, it's from Magoi, from the east, arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Again, just another quick prayer. Father, I pray that you'll bless this moment. Thank you for allowing me to share today. Thank you for your blessing on Calvary Hills Baptist Church. Pray you'll continue to bless in a great and powerful way today and the days to come. Bless this time. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. After Jesus was born, after the shepherds heard the announcements of Christ's birth from the angels, after the shepherds found Jesus, after Simeon saw Jesus, after Anna saw Jesus, after about a year and a half, the wise men arrived in Bethlehem in order to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Meaning they celebrated Christmas about a year and a half after Jesus was born. By the way, aren't you glad that we can celebrate Christmas all the time and any time? Why, even the day after Christmas. Let me just say, friends, personally, I'm glad I'm not a Jehovah's Witness because they don't get to celebrate Christmas. And it's not just because they don't believe that Jesus was born on December 25th, but they prohibit all annual celebrations and holidays and birthdays. Can you imagine no New Year's Day, no Veterans Day, no Memorial Day, no Easter, no Christmas, no birthday? Now, no doubt about it, some Christians do get their priorities all wrong. And it's a fact that Christmas has become very secularized and people take on too much debt at Christmas. I'm not preaching on that today. But to say we shouldn't celebrate Christ's birth at all is extreme. And saying the star the wise men followed to get to Jesus was from Satan is beyond extreme. And that's what most Jehovah's Witnesses teach. Now, I don't think that Satan would want people worshiping and bringing their gifts to Jesus. Do you? I just don't believe that. Now, you can say you don't believe the Bible, though I hope you won't say that. Saying the star was from Satan doesn't make sense since the example of the Magi encourages us all to worship Jesus. What we know is the Bible tells us, and the Bible tells us Jesus was born. And the accounts in Matthew and Luke and the whole Bible are accurate. The wise men came and did exactly what Matthew and Luke's Gospels tell us Jesus did. Now, Jesus might not have been born on December the 25th. But friend, the exact day is not as important to our faith as the fact that he was born on one of the 365 days. Matter of fact, the, the great orator and author and, and writer Frederick Douglass was born in 1817 in, in February. And he didn't know the exact day, but he picked February 14th since his mom called him a little Valentine. So we picked December the 25th, and it's a great day. And by the way, 
If somebody says there's no evidence at all that Jesus was born on December 25th, that's not exactly true either. Around 180 AD, the Egyptian scholar Clement of Alexandria wrote that some remember Christ's birthday being on the 25th day of Farmuthi. Farmuthi was an Egyptian month, many believe corresponding to our December, that would put it in the neighborhood of December the 25th. Theophilus, bishop of Caesarea, 135 AD, urged celebrating Christ's birth on December 25th. Third century commentator on Daniel, Hippolytus, he said the first appearance of our Lord in the flesh took place in Bethlehem eight days before the Kalends of January. Again, that puts you in the neighborhood of January, uh, December the 25th. An early Latin calendar called the Chronography, written in 336 A.D., Ten years before Pope Liberius supposedly selected December 25th, documents Christ's birth happens on December 25th. Early Christian John Chrysostom wrote, the official records of the census were examined and it was determined December 25th was in fact the correct date, end quote. Now, I will be the first to concede we do not know if Jesus was born on December 25th or not, but we can be sure he was born. And we can believe the Gospels are accurate and true. And the wise men saw a star that directed them to where Jesus was. And they followed it a long time so they could go worship this infant king. See, I believe what these wise men did after Christmas is a great example for us. What we need to do, not just on the day after Christmas, but every day we live for the rest of our lives. And so notice this morning with me, please, how the wise men celebrated Christ's birth and how we ought to celebrate it too, even though it's after the 25th. First of all, their direction to Jesus. Their direction to Jesus. Look again, if you don't mind, my reading verses 1 and 2 again, and we'll go through verse 6. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him were troubled. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And we'll stop there. Now, some historians claim that the Magi were simply followers of Zoroaster. Others believe the Persian king, Darius the Great, established leaders in Persia in the 6th century B.C., and they continued to be, as a caste, prominent leaders in Persia until the 7th century A.D. Early theologians like Tertullian believed the Magi were kings instead of just wise men. And they said their traveling to Bethlehem fulfilled Isaiah 60, which said, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn, and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Now I know we sing, We Three Kings of Orient Are, but we don't know how many they were. But it's interesting, the the writers of the hymn certainly thought they were kings and not just three wise men. One of the titles given to Daniel was Rab Mag, chief of the Magi. 
making him an administrator in two empires, the Babylonian and the Persian. When Darius appointed Daniel, a Jew, as the Rab Mag, the chief of the Magi, it's believed the others got mad and decided they would trap Daniel and throw him in the lion's den. Now, it is possible, not certain, it is possible Daniel was the one who told the other Magi that the birth of Israel's Messiah would be announced by a star since Daniel knew Numbers 24, 17. Fast forward to the time of Christ's birth where Herod the Great secured for himself the title King of the Jews, uh-oh, and he became more and more paranoid of his power and position to the point of killing his own wife, Mary Amney, and three of his own sons and his own brother. Herod was so worried somebody would take his job and steal his power. People said it was safer to be Herod's pig than his son. Now that's a play on words because the word for pig is hus in the Greek and son is huios. Safer to be a hus than a huios. Herod was a bad guy. You can only imagine what went through his mind when the Magi showed up from the east saying, we have come to seek the king of the Jews. We saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. Herod fought hard, no doubt, to mask the, the jealousy and the rage and still we have to honor these wise men who travel for months and months and months to see the king of the Jews. Now considering where Jesus, when Jesus was born, Luke called Jesus a brephos. That's the word we find. A newborn infant when he was born. Matthew 2.9 says, by the time the wise men arrived, he was a pideon. He was a toddler. A toddler. Now, that kind of tells you that over a year, year and a half had passed from the time Jesus was born to the time the wise men actually arrived where Jesus was. I know the Christmas cards show the shepherds and the wise men all together, but they were separated by about a year and a half, truth be told. We also know that Jesus probably was born in the vicinity of 5 or 6 B.C., and the way we know that is because Herod died in 4 B.C., and we know Herod was still alive after the Magi had been traveling for about a year and a half, proving Jesus was born at least one to two years before Herod died, and Herod died in 4 B.C. But imagine walking, riding for over a year, year and a half to find the king of the Jews. Why did they go? What was their purpose to worship Jesus? They told Herod, we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him and all friend listen that's the right direction any life can take it's amazing to me they spent months and months and months over a year riding through the deserts following a single star and why did they do it it's because Jesus was important he still is a lot of folks spend Christmas time shopping and driving and smartphone looking and wrapping and cooking and traveling and socializing and clinging, clinging, cleaning and TV looking and school program attending and dishwashing and grocery buying and on and on and on. Food, friends, frenzy and football for many, the four F's, sadly, that's the way it is. And after all that's done, there's very little time for Jesus. That is not the way it was for the Magi. They cleared their calendar for about three years, a year and a half each way, because finding Jesus was important. Herod wanted to find him to kill him. The wise men wanted to find him to worship him. 
And as said before, the chief priests and scribes, they knew exactly where Jesus would be born. And yet they made no effort to find him. They knew Micah 5.2, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. And I love that little phrase, his goings forth are from long ago. Olam to olam is the phrase, even from eternity past. As the great hymn writer H.R. Bramley wrote, he is what he was and forever shall be, but became what he was not for you and for me. 200 years after King David had died, the prophet Micah said a greater king will be born in Bethlehem and this king would be different than David even though he was born in David's city, because his origins are from eternity past. So despite the fact Isaiah 9-1 says the Messiah would grow up and minister in Galilee, and despite the fact Hosea tells us that God would call his son out of Egypt, a census would force Joseph and Mary to travel 95 miles south to Bethlehem Ephratah, to fulfill a promise made 200 years after David died, 700 years before Jesus was born. The name Ephratah means fruitful, and as you know, Bethlehem means house of bread. Bethlehem was so small and insignificant, the Bible calls it little among the clans of Judah. So small they couldn't even send a thousand men to go to battle for Israel. I was trying to find a real small town near San Antonio to kind of give you an idea of what Bethlehem was like. I saw one named in the top 10 smallest towns in Texas, Brundage, Texas. Anybody ever been to Brundage, Texas? It's a real place. Population 27. Salute, right? Bethlehem was a really small place. But the ancient Jews knew Israel's future Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The chief priests knew it, the scribes knew it, Herod knew it, and the Magi knew it. But of the four groups who knew it, who made the trip to Bethlehem? Only the wise men. Only they acted on their faith. Only they did something about what they believed. And that's how the wise men celebrated Christmas. They acted on what they believed. Friend, it doesn't matter if Jesus was born in December, July, October. It doesn't matter. The bottom line is letting Jesus direct your life, submitting to him, crowning him king and lord of your heart. Going to where he was was inconvenient. It was tiring. It was time-consuming. But it took priority over everything else because it was important. Doesn't Colossians 1.18 say, in all things he might have preeminence first place? I've often wondered if the wise men had families, if any of the family members went with them. Did their spouse go? Did their kids go? Scripture doesn't tell us, but it's implied that no other family members went. How powerful was it? They traveled by themselves for months and months and months, up to three years to see Jesus, and then they had to go back. That's a long time. That's a lot of commitment. Oh, we Baptist preachers love that word, commitment. There's a bumper sticker that says, wise men still follow him. Maybe it should say, faithful, committed believers still follow him. The great hymn writer, Julia Johnston, who wrote, Grace Greater Than Our Sin, also wrote, all through their journey so lonely, the pilgrims that came from the east, following the guiding light only, till their long wandering had ceased, seeking the Savior so holy, who came to be Israel's king, 
Soon to the cradle so lowly, gold and frankincense they bring. Jesus, thou star of the morning, though I'm but a child in thy sight, turning from sin at thy warning, gladly I follow the light. And that's what they did after Christmas. And so should we. We ought to be faithful and committed to Jesus. We ought to direct our way to him. We ought to be faithful in assembling together. And that's what you're doing this morning. You're being faithful to Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some, but encouraging one another in so much the more as you see the day approaching. Thank you for being here today. Keep your focus on the Lord. Don't get sidetracked by lesser things that pull us away from the main thing. Jesus needs to be the focus of our time and our money. I read where little Timmy did not want to put his Lottie Moon Christmas offering in the offering plate on Sunday morning. His mother decided to use a little uh, creative motivation for him. She whispered, Timmy, you, you don't want that money. Quick, drop it in the plate. It's tainted. Horrified, the little boy obeyed, and he, he threw it in the offering plate. And after a few seconds, Timmy whispered, Mommy, why was the money tainted? Was it dirty? She said, oh, no, Timmy, it's not really dirty. Just taint yours. It taint mine. It's God's. 14 million Americans claim to be Southern Baptist. The average gift to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, based on 14 million people, is about $11 each. That's three cents a day to World Missions for Southern Baptist Church members. Now, I rejoice. Jared told me you guys have already gone way over your Lottie Moon Christmas missions offering goal. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. What a testimony that you're a heavy lifter in the kingdom of God and world missions. But it's sad that we only spend as, as an average convention-wide about three cents a day on world missions. Did you know we spend more on fish food than we spend on world missions? I'm talking about Southern Baptist. I'm one of you. I can pick on Southern Baptist. I'm one. I got a fish. But if I spend more on my fish at home than I do on world missions, something's wrong in my heart. Southern Baptists spend more on chewing gum than they spend on world missions. While they spend 16 times, I'm talking about Southern Baptists now, Southern Baptists spend more, 16 times more on lottery tickets than they give to missions. Now, I'm thankful you guys don't do that. You know, lottery tickets are a tax on the poor. They're not a good thing. They're not a good thing. Spending God's money that way is tainted money. Money that taint theirs. Don't spend it that way. How do the wise men celebrate after Christmas? Well, they let Jesus direct their actions. That's number one. And we should too. Number two after Christmas. Notice the discovery, their discovery of Jesus. Now look in verses 7 to 10. Their discovery. It says, Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you found him, report to me so I too may come and worship him. Verse 9. And after hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. That sounds pretty supernatural, doesn't it? When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. No, Herod was smart enough to know. If he could figure out when they saw the star, he could figure out the approximate age of the child whom they were seeking. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us what the wise men said, 
But we can guess from the use of the term paideon, the star stood over the place where the child was, however long it takes for a newborn infant to grow into a little toddler is how long these guys have been walking. Now, my grandson turns two years old in two days. My granddaughter is one month old today. My grandson, yeah, happy birthday. My grandson is a paideon, he's a toddler. My granddaughter is a brephos. She's a newborn. She's just a few weeks old, one month old today. Now, I'm not sure what the age is when a newborn ceases to be a newborn and becomes a toddler. And maybe we can throw the crawler age in there somewhere. I'm not sure. Herod wanted to know how long has it been since you first saw the star because he wanted to know the age of the child. Why was that? Because old Herod was not going to give up his crown for anyone, and that included the king of the Jews. Herod was born in 73 AD. By Matthew chapter 1, he's 68, 69 years of age. And if there's one thing Herod was good at, it was hanging on to his power. He had a rival to the throne named Antigonus, who he had executed by Mark Antony. I guess he antagonized him. He married 10 different women. Two of his own sons he executed by strangling. He believed they were after his throne. Herod became suspicious of his favorite wife, Mary Amney, had her killed. He wanted to find Jesus not to worship but to kill him. Not the wise men. They traveled to worship him. And so they continued following the star. And it led them to Bethlehem. And the star stood over the place where Jesus was in the house. A lot of discussion about what was the star. The Greek word for star, aster, could be a meteor, a comet, a planet, a star. We don't really know. Halley's uh, comet passed in 11 BC. That's probably way too early. The astronomer Johannes Kepler wrote about a brilliant alignment of Jupiter and Saturn that happened in 7 BC. And then Mars joined in for this trifecta constellation in 6 BC with a double, a double lunar eclipse. Here's the bottom line, friend. I don't know that it was any of that because it says the star moved. It went on before them and stood over where the child was. This was more than just some constellation alignment, conjunction of stars and planets. This was something supernatural that directed these wise men to Jesus. They were searching for Jesus and they found him. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, if you'll seek the Lord your God, you'll find him. If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Isaiah 55.6, seeks the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Jesus said, seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there that night when the wise men's caravan pulled up to Jesus' parents' house, Joseph's house, and they went to the front door and knocked, and maybe Joseph went to the front door, we don't know. And the wise men said, we're searching for the king of the Jews. And, and Joseph said, you found the right place. After a year and a half of bumping up and down on a camel, riding a caravan or a horse, we don't know what it was, they finally arrived at their destination. By the way, I really don't think they brought the kids along lest they'd have been, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Driven them crazy. They saw for Jesus, they found him, and Christian, when we search for the Lord, if you're not yet a believer, when you search for the Lord, you will find him too. And when they found him, what happened? 
they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Oh, listen, this is the end of seeking for Jesus. You'll find him and you'll have great joy. You have to seek. Good things come to those who seek. I read a story recently about Dr. Kenyon Wilson. He's a performing arts professor at the University of Tennessee in Chattanooga. And every year, this professor, he gives out the syllabus to his class. And uh, this past year, he did the same thing. One of the students named Hallie Derrick, she said, nobody ever reads a syllabus. Nobody ever reads it. But this year, he did something different. Uh, Dr. Wilson, he put a little footnote, a little note in the syllabus that said, go to locker number 47, combination 15 right, 25 left, 35 right, and there's a special gift for you. In that locker, he put a $50 bill and he put a little note. Nothing else was in the locker. He said, if you find this, write your name so I know who read the syllabus. Would you believe after an entire year, nobody, nobody claimed the $50? When he told them what, what had happened, he called their attention to the syllabus and said, guys, you didn't even read this. Because had you read it, here's what you would have found. The funny thing is, this coming year, it's expected that his syllabus will be the most read in the history of the school, probably in America. Good things come to those who seek. Whether you're a Christian or not yet a Christian, man, seek the Lord. Make the discovery of Jesus, his truth, his word, his syllabus here is God's word, the instructions he's given it. Make it a priority. And I know you do. I know you do. If we seek for the Lord and prioritize the Lord, we'll not only find him, we'll find joy. So how did the wise men celebrate Jesus? Number one, their direction. Number two, their discovery. And number three, their devotion. Their devotion. Look in 11 and 12. It says in verse number 11, after coming into the house, they saw the child. They saw the toddler. There he was. With Mary, his mother. No doubt clinging tightly to him because she didn't know who these strangers were. And it says, they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Two things happened when they went in the house and saw the toddler Jesus. Number one, they fell down and worshipped. The word worship means to bow down, proskuneo, knees down. Maybe even to kiss the ground. Now, we're Christians, we're not Muslims, but you know that they face Mecca and they they go down to the ground, they put their face or their head on the ground. That's the way they worship. And that's kind of what the wise men did. They fell before Jesus and worshiped him. This was no ordinary king. This was a king whose coming into the world was announced by a supernaturally moving star. And shouldn't that kind of devotion be a part of our lives as well? Shouldn't that be a part of our day after Christmas as well. When a Jehovah's Witness says, we don't celebrate Christmas, I want to ask, so when do you worship Jesus like the Magi did? Do you give him the rightful place in your heart as God the Son? And of course, they will tell you, no, the answer is they don't. They believe Jesus is a God, but not God the Son, the Son of God, God of very God's. 
And we should believe that. Not just on Christmas and the day after, but every day for the rest of our lives. And the wise men didn't just bow down. They also brought their gifts. The gift of gold. The gift for a king. The gift of frankincense. A gift for a priest. Frankincense was the incense the, high, the priest would put on the, the altar of incense to sprinkle before he went around the veil and, and would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, it was that beautiful smelling incense that, that created the, almost the fog inside. Myrrh, the most strange gift of all the gifts they brought, a little toddler, was an expensive ointment used to embalm the dead. Can you imagine giving that to your toddler at Christmas? Sorry, Tommy, no, uh, no Tonka truck this year. We got you some embalming fluid. Mm. And yet, it was the most appropriate of all the gifts. Gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, and myrrh for one about to die. Very appropriate gifts. Jesus was born to die. He was born in order to pay our sin debt. We read in Hebrews 10, 5, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. The value of the gold the wise men gave was so valuable. You note that when G, uh, Joseph and Mary and Jesus go down to Egypt, they didn't have to work. I think there was a lot of gold that was given, and that probably took care of them for some time. These were costly gifts given as a demonstration of devotion to God who obviously was the one behind, the supernaturally moving star. A recent holiday shopping survey revealed that 76% of all Americans buy gifts for themselves while they're out shopping for others. We go out shopping for others and over three out of four buy something for themselves. A third admitted to rewrapping a gift they got and giving it to somebody else. A third of the time, and fifth for all ladies, would admit they take the money they're spending and, well... Save it for a, they'd rather save it for a summer vacation. Understand, friend, what these wise men brought, they were bringing their best. It symbolized heartfelt devotion. And after walking a year and a half each way, absolutely, they were giving the best of their time, their treasure, their talent. True devotion is something we can't hide. It's something we can't hide at Christmas we can't hide it after Christmas, and we can't hide it for every day for the rest of our lives. Go back to the Old Testament, you'll find that every time God's people worshiped, they brought an offering. Every time. Sin offering, fellowship offering, thank offering, you name it, study it, Leviticus. Every time they worshiped, they brought an offering. Because giving was always a part of worship. Worship. I love the story in 2 Samuel 24 about a threshing floor that belonged to a man named Arana. And David wanted to buy that real estate so that he could build an altar to God. And that would eventually become the Temple Mount. And Arana said to David, Here, David, I'm not going to sell you the land. Let me just give it to you. It's all yours. And you can have the oxen. You can have the wood. You can have everything. Take it all as a free gift. I'm a Baptist preacher. I'd have said, okay. David said, no, I can't do that. I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And because David paid fair market value for Arana's wood and oxen and land and land and land, the Jews have clear spiritual title to that temple mount today. It's theirs. They bought it. David paid for it. 
Why did David insist on paying for the land? It's because giving is always, was always, should always be a part of worship. And that's the way we should give our giving as a part of worship to God. We don't give to get back, that's true. But God does bless those who faithfully give as part of worship. I love the old hymn that says, Though laid in a manger, he came from a throne. On earth was a stranger, in heaven he was known. How lowly, how gracious his coming to earth. His love, my love kindles to joy in his birth. Oh, friend, listen, aren't you glad that on the day after Christmas, we can celebrate Christmas? I mean, for every day, for the rest of our lives, every day is Christmas. Every day is Easter. We love all those days. And so my challenge to you this morning is this. Let the direction of the Magi reflect your direction. Let their discovery of Jesus reflect your discovery, your pursuit, your seeking for truth. Your devotion to Jesus, but your heartfelt commitment and devotion as well. Let Jesus have first place in your heart and your life. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. Would you bow with me in prayer?